It's really early. Goodness, praise God. Christmas came early. Okay, good morning, everyone. New sermon series today. I think I put it on the, on the bulletin there. New sermon series. We're starting Good Tidings of Great Joy. Good Tidings of Great Joy. Luke 2, verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Anyone in here today got a bit of fear in you? Don't raise your hand. Just a rhetorical question. Is there any fear on the inside of you about anything that should not be? God would not tell us to do something if it's not possible to be able to live that way. So, do not be afraid. For behold, look, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Is there any part of your life where there's not great joy this morning? Any part? Are you going through something where your joy is just not where it should be? That means we do not understand the good message of good joy and great tidings. That's all that means. If you don't have joy in every area of your life, because the joy of the Lord is our strength, that never changes. So if you and I are going through something where there is not great joy, all it means is we do not understand the good tidings of great joy. That's all. It's just good to know that. Why don't you hear a lot of people, I don't have joy. Well, you don't understand the good tidings. That's why you don't have joy. Because if you understand what Jesus came to do and made available to you and I, we would have great joy because of the good tidings. And we'll see just now, it, it doesn't matter what you and I are going through. Outside circumstances and things that happen in our life should not determine what goes on on the inside of us. We should be able to have great joy, irregardless of what we are facing, what storm we are in, what boat we are in, what waves and wind is bashing against us. We should be able to be sleeping and have great joy. So, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. That includes you and I. That includes every country, every color, every bit of socioeconomic division that the world can bring. It's to all people. So how is your joy today? How is the fear level in your life? Do you laugh at fear? When the doctor says, man, this will never change. When the economy says, this is not going to work. Can you laugh at Anything that comes against you because of the great news that Jesus Christ has come. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about probably my favorite subject, which is grace. Just now that Jesus has come, the grace has come. How do we live with that grace? And praise God for grace because this morning, you know, when the kids do their Sunday school program downstairs and all there's one child that is crying, will not go down, refuses to go. Whose child is that? It's the pastor's. (laughs) It's my child. So thank you, Jesus, for grace. All the kids are up here singing and they're doing their thing. I'm like, where's Nathan? He's not here. Go downstairs, he's watching TV, watching movies downstairs. So I said, yeah, Bible man. Praise God, it's Bible man and not something else. But I go downstairs, I'm like, where's Nathan, Miss Faith? She says, oh, no, no, we don't fight with him anymore. He's down. I'm like, 
upstairs now. You will sing. So, praise Jesus for grace. Grace is good. John 1 verse 17, we know this verse, we can probably quote it off by heart because I've used it so many times. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, praise Jesus, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, everything changed. Everything changed. We live a different covenant. We have grace and mercy. Every single day, his blood has come. His name has been given to us. We're living on the backside of the cross. So that is just so great. So we're going to be talking a lot about grace today. So why did grace come? How do we live a life of grace and how do we use it? Because there's so much about grace out there and some of it is very good and some of it is very bad. So let's see what the word has to say about this grace. Okay. So the same force or the same power that you can use for good could also be very, very dangerous for you. For example, electricity. You can use electricity to charge a generator. You can use electricity for air conditioner in the summer. You can use electricity to make it warm in a room. But if you use electricity wrong, it will fry you. It will absolutely kill you. No questions asked. Not a difficult concept to understand. The same very power that could be used for good could kill you. We're talking about grace today. The very same thing that you and I can use for good can be the very thing that will cause death. Talking about the grace of God today. Okay. So you can use sound. Sound you can use to worship. Amazing worship we had today again. Wonderful. If you don't understand understand sound and you get behind one of those boxes there where you've got all of these channels and everything and you don't understand the feedback, if you take a microphone too close to a speaker and the feedback comes, it will, it will kill you. It literally will. There's just something, if you do not understand it, the same thing that you can use for good will kill you. It's the very same thing. So how you use it will depend on how it's going to benefit or hurt you. The same for grace. How you and I use grace will determine if it's going to benefit us or understand, don't go out here and saying something I did not say. Grace will not kill you, but you and I using grace in the wrong way leads to death. And I'll prove that from the word just now. Because grace is always there. What is grace? When you've made a mistake to say it's okay. That's what grace is. But misusing it will cause death in our life, the word says. So we'll look at that just now. So you can use or abuse grace. You can use it the right way or you can abuse it in the wrong way. It's up to you. It's in our hands how we use it. I was speaking to somebody the other day. They've just got a new job. So they've changed work and they're working hard and everything is different when you change jobs. You know, you've got a new boss and different rules. So I was speaking to this person. I said, hey, man, how, how's your work going? How's this new job? And they looked at me and they said, man, this job, you cannot be late. Seriously, you cannot show up late for this job. So I chuckled. I didn't say anything because what job do you and I go to where we can just show up late? 
what job do we go and say, hey, sorry, man, you, you know how it is, whatever. That's, you're not going to be there for a long time. So I didn't say anything, but he's saying, you know, this job, this is serious. If you're late for this job, you will get fired. They can't keep you around if you're late for this job. The other job that I was, man, there was grace. So I could be late. It was okay. They weren't so strict about it. It was easier to be late there. And that's misusing or not understanding grace. And using grace in that manner will get you into trouble. It's not good. Grace would be the final point of doing everything you possibly can. And then something comes up that you didn't plan for. Then the grace kicks in. It's you got to bed at the right hour the night before. Your clothes were out. You got dressed. You got on the car, in the car, on the bike, whatever, to get to work at the right time. And now there's a huge accident in front of you. Some truck is overturned. The highway is closed. You can't get to work. Now you can phone and say, listen, I'm going to be a couple minutes late because this and this and this. Okay, there's grace for that. Graces like me coming to church have to preach, do everything on time when Nathan is young. Just get in the car. Oh, my goodness, what is that smell? (laughs) Got to stop the car, take the child out, run inside, change the nappy, clean everything up. Okay, now we've just wasted 10 minutes just to, okay, now, sorry guys, I was late. I had to do something before I could. That's grace. Grace is not waking up, looking at the weather. Ah, I'm going to have another cup of coffee. It's just so cold and snowy outside. Let me have another cup. That's not grace. Grace is not when the alarm goes off. Snooze button. That's not grace. And when you use grace the wrong way over and over and over again, it causes death in your life. So you and I choose how to use this most amazing, powerful thing that God has given us called grace. Do we really, really understand how powerful grace is and what grace really does for us? Do you understand that anything that you have done that was wrong, anything, doesn't matter how atrocious it is, under grace, it's completely washed away. It does not exist in the eyes of God anymore. Do you grasp the power of that concept? That you are completely clean in front of your father. That we can enter his presence as if that thing had never ever taken place. That's grace. That's the power of grace. And that is what Jesus brought. When he came to earth, that is what he brought with him. The power to forgive every and anything that you have done that you should never have done because it was wrong. He came to remove that. Not just put it under the blood, but completely take it away with the blood so that it does not even exist anymore in the eyes of God. That's how powerful true grace really is. So... Like I said before, the grace of God, when we misuse it, that brings us into trouble and brings death. Not the grace of God, but the word says, and we'll look at a verse just now, that when we we use the grace of God for excuses and we use it for the wrong way, 
it causes death in our lives. And we look at that verse and how powerful it is when you really realize, oh my goodness, maybe I'm abusing grace a little. I'm not doing everything I can to really grasp the grace of God and live under that day and night for everything that I do. So the grace of God never runs out. The grace of God is always for us. Every day it's there. Tiffany is an amazing cook, my wife. She is phenomenal. And I'm not just saying that just to score brownie points. You can ask any person in this church that has sat around our table and they will tell you that Tiffany is an amazing cook. That's good and that's bad. It has its positives and it has its negatives. I'm not even talking about my stomach, okay? <laughs> so don't even go there. That's what Jesus says in the word when he says he perceived that the people were thinking this and this and this. <laughs> I perceived you were thinking about my stomach when I spoke about her good cooking. But that's okay. I can enjoy the food that I eat every day. But if I get treated like this day after day after day, I now take her food as something just common because I get it every day. See, if you eat once a month, you eat something like that. You look forward to that once a month day. If you go to a restaurant every now and then, it, it's, it's a big thing. But if I eat that kind of food every single meal, three times a day, every day, it becomes, you know, just everyday ordinary food. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be in. So I can take the food for granted. But if you watch her prepare a meal, the cleaning, the planning, the, the love, the energy, the effort, the thought that goes into the food, preparing, then afterwards cleaning, it's phenomenal what goes into a meal that she cooks. And sometimes because my part of the family and my job is so important, you know I have to save the whole world every day. <laughs> That's me. I mean, I just, I'm up early in the morning. I go out, I do things. I sometimes come home 10 o'clock at night from prison or from life cells or whatever. My, my part is really important. You get that. So I sit down after a very, very busy day and the food is there and the food is cooked and because my job is so important and my part is so big in the family, I just gulp down that whole meal and when I'm finished, because I've been taught from a young age, there's a neurological pathway in my mind that when I'm finished eating, I just say, thank you so much for the food, it was nice. And I push my plate aside or put it in the dishwasher and then I go to the study because I've got to prepare for the next day's teaching or lesson. And when I say thank you for the food, I, there's no love in that. There's no heart behind saying thank you for the food. It's just something that I automatically say because it's so ingrained in my mind. There's a pathway there that once I've eaten, I say thank you for the food, big deal. And I can do that. Because I get so used to this amazing food, and when I get home, the food is there, the food is ready, but I forget. And sometimes it's just good to be able to sit and watch her prepare a meal and everything that goes into it. Because then I, I have to take a step back and go, oh my goodness, look at that. 
And then when I'm finished eating, then I can say, oh, my love, thank you so much for this meal. Thank you for everything you have put into this because, man, this is amazing. You know what Jesus went through for you and I? So that sometimes we can just walk in and say, thank you for the grace. I plead the blood. In the name of Jesus, forgive my sins. And I just go on. But if I stand back and I look at before the foundation of the earth, there was a plan already set up. Do you know the preparation that went into the cross? You know what the Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit had to do so that Jesus was enabled to come as a man? And sometimes because my job is so important and what I do, I'm so busy and my call and me, me, me and my, 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 I can just say thank you for the grace. But there's no heart behind it. There's no love behind it. And I need to take a step back and go and look at the cross and look at them plucking out his beard and look at them spitting on the master and slapping him and beating him and crucifying him to a cross and mocking and jeering. So that I can truly stand back and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have prepared. This is not a common thing to me, and I refuse to take this lightly. So next time when this situation comes up, I'm not just going to say, well, I'm in the new covenant. I'm under grace. No, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make all that preparation and all that hard work avail to me right now in my life. So that I can use the grace for which it was really set out to do. And not just make it a cheap thank you. So, another problem with that is, Nathan, he knows nothing else. All he knows is the good food that Tiffany cooks. So we have to teach him because you get used to that. If you don't know anything else. How do you compare? How do you know that what is good, what is bad? If you come from America, if you're born in this country and you don't know what other countries' lifestyles are like, it's very easy to complain about the United States of America and this country this and this country this. But my dear friend, if you go with me to some of the other countries that I've lived in and where I'm from, you would thank God you have electricity on a cold day. You would thank God that you have running water coming out of a tap. Because in some countries in 2015, they do not have that. That's the truth. That's, that's the real life of certain people right now today. And we complain because the parking meter is broken. We must really, really be careful. Remember last week complaining? Opens the door to that dog. There's some things in this country that could be better, but man, there are a lot of things in this country that are great. So let's enjoy those great things. Back to Nathan. So he's just used to Tiffany's cooking. He doesn't know anything else. So when we go someplace sometimes to eat, it could be a little embarrassing because he will look at the food and go, yuck. Or yucky. Now, first, Nathan, we don't say yuck. That's not we. Not for food. It doesn't matter. Just, just, you know. But I'm sitting next to him thinking to myself, I agree, my boy. I agree. I'm with you on this. But we don't say that. Sometimes we'll go to a restaurant and I will think to myself, 
I wish I was at home eating Tiffany's food in a restaurant because that's how good she is. And when you get used to something, if you only know grace and you were brought up in this new covenant and you were brought up under the forgiveness and you were brought up under the goodness and the mercy of God, sometimes that's all you know. And then when something goes wrong, it's easy to say, yuck. And we do not say that. Not when it comes to the things of God. And other people start seeing the way that you live. I remember we were on a, on a very strict diet a while ago and we could only eat it's 500 calories a day. So you're basically sipping on a piece of lettuce throughout the whole day. <laughs> That's all you can do. It was Chinese New Year, so we had a very big Chinese New Year feast with Janet and G, and they got hot pots, and there's different kinds. Of, it's just it's an amazing meal, but we on our diet. So Tiffany has made our 500 calories. That's per person. That's 500 calories. That's one milkshake at McDonald's, 780 calories just there. So put that into context. That little drink, two minutes, gone. That's, your, that's over a day's calories that you can have. So we're sitting at this feast, and Tiffany opens our two lunch boxes, and the people who can have all that food look at ours, and they say, man, that looks good. I'm thinking, listen, this is tomato, and let, but the way that she puts it out and the way that she makes it look, she, drished, she dresses it up so nicely that the people around, even with what they have available to them, they look at her cooking and they say, wow, doesn't that look amazing? That's what grace should look like in our lives. Where other people can do whatever they want. Go out and, up, you know, the freedom that we have. They should look at our lives and when we open our lunchbox, our life of grace, they should look at us and say, man, you know what? I want some of that. And you use, I can only have 500 calories. It doesn't matter. That looks so good. That is dressed up so nicely. And that's the power of grace. Where you can go somewhere and you can be yourself and you can do something. And people look at you and they say, I want that. I want what you have. How do you get that? That's the grace of God. That's the power of God. I stand here today as one. Because you see, in, 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 in the society that we live in today, you can go to university and you can get a, a degree in business from somebody that's never, ever owned a business before. A lecturer that's written textbooks on businesses, he can stand and teach you, but he's never owned his own business. How does that work? You can go to seminary. They will teach you how to be a pastor. From someone who's never had their own church to run. How does that work? Because you see, it's very easy to say when a church split happens, this is how you deal with it. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love everyone. But it's a different thing when you have poured your heart and soul into people and you've given them your best and laid down your life for them and they take that and shove it back in your face and say, don't want this anymore. This is not for me. How do you deal with it then? There's a different place between teaching theory and walking in the actual facts and the things of life. So I today am talking about grace and the power of grace, not as one who has heard 
about grace from someone preaching behind a pulpit. I'm talking as someone who lives the power of grace every day in my life. It's not just a 12-point plan to me. Grace has made me a very powerful person. And that's not me bragging on myself. If you knew me many, many years ago and you see me now, you would know that God is real because of the grace of God. I didn't get this from a book that someone wrote one day because they wanted to make money or they had a doctorate or they needed to put out something so that someone can read something. I didn't get this power from that. I got it from the Lord Jesus Christ, from his book, and from putting that book into action. That's what grace has done for me. This man over here, standing here and preaching, he didn't get what he has by reading a book and listening to a 12-step program. He got it by living it. The grace in his life has made him a very powerful man. You don't just come off of heroin being a heroin addict and he wouldn't mind me sharing this and going to prison and coming out of prison and and being absolutely a wreck to be the man of God that he is today. If you just sat in a classroom and heard about how to come off heroin, go to this program, listen to that. It doesn't work that way, my friend. They've just come out now with a movie on Victor Torres' life. You should go see it because in that movie he depicts a little bit of what it means to be addicted to heroin and, and, and what he had to do to come off of heroin. And, and when you watch the movie, you get the, the, the tiniest little bit of, wow, is it really that addictive? Yes. Ask that man, because he served heroin as his God. That's his testimony. So that's what grace will do to you. That's how powerful grace will make you live. So that now when people see your life and they're like, hey, Artem, what? Wow, I want some of that. How do I get that? How do I, how do I change from where I am to where I want to be? Because I want to be like you. You have something that I do not have because I know you. And what you are doing now is not you. There's something greater behind your life right now, and I want a piece of that. That's the power of grace. That's what grace will do. So if we go and look at a few verses in the Bible... Um, let's turn to Titus. Titus chapter 2. What does grace do? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. The grace of God teaches you. It's not an excuse to do something. It's a power that teaches you. Have you ever sat under an amazing teacher at school? You can remember good teachers at school that made a subject just so amazing because they were such good teachers. Where they explained something and you listened and you thought, man, how do you, where do you get that? How do you, that's what grace does. That's what grace does. It teaches you something that you think, man, I was so addicted to pornography. How would I ever, there's no way that I could get free. Yet grace came in and showed me how to be free from pornography. I was so addicted to just filth in the world. It had such a stronghold on my life. But grace came in and grace taught me how to be able to live free from that trash. That's what grace does. 
Grace is not, well, I did my best, didn't work. No, no, no. Look what grace does. It teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Right now, this present age, with everything out there that's going on that is evil and dark, we should live a godly life. That's the power of grace. And when we live the grace right, that is what we will have. We will have that power. So that is what grace does. In Titus, it tells us, because many people don't understand what grace really does. So you and I choose how we want to use grace every day. Grace can cause you to become very, very powerful. It can cause anyone who is pathetic to become very, very powerful. And you can choose how you want to live your life. Because if you just mis, misuse, abuse grace, you'll become a punching bag for the enemy. And he will use you over and over again. And what happens then, because you're not putting the word in action, you speak the word, you hear it, but you don't do it, you become self-deceived. That's a very bad place to be if you misuse grace because you're not putting the word in action. And to be self-deceived is one of the worst positions that a man can ever be in or woman because you think that you are right. And you're completely wrong. Well, I did this and this and this. Why is it not working? I've tried. And you think that you're doing the right thing, but you're completely wrong. That's what happens when you use grace to say, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you're not really sorry. That's the thing about misusing grace. So how we use grace is in our hands. Are we the ones that say, oh, well, tried my best, didn't work? Or are we the ones that say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you say that? How can we say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Because by the grace of God, Christ came. It's grace. How can we say greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world? How can we say that? Because by the grace of God, he now lives. It's all grace. It's all grace. And if we live it right, that power of the greater one in me is true. It's a reality. It's not just words on a page anymore. It changes the way we walk, it changes the way we talk, changes the way we think, changes the way our goals in life. Everything changes when we live this grace right. Why? Because we become powerful. And too many people sitting in church week after week hearing the word of God are just not powerful people. And it's just easy to give in to sin and say, well, you know what, I tried. And then there are people like me who really was addicted to certain things, and I honest to God believe that there was no way out. I really believed a lie. I was self-deceived. I really thought that this is just the end. There cannot be any freedom for me ever again because of what I've done, but grace. And we're going to see how to appropriate that grace in our lives today. You see an egg, if you take boiling water, you boil water and you put an egg in the boiling water, it will turn that egg rock hard. You take that same boiling water and you put a potato in that water, it will turn that potato so soft it will fall apart. The same water will boil something rock hard and it will make something so soft. Your and my circumstances on the outside does not matter at all. 
It's what's on the inside of us that determines whether we're going to get hard or whether we're going to get soft and fall apart. Because it's so easy today. We can blame everything around us. Like I say, we've been through stuff. Some of us have come out of you know, horrific family experiences. Some of us have been through terrible marriages. Some of us have had experiences that happened to us that are very, very bad. And now it's easy to stand back and blame the experience, blame my parents, blame my wife, blame my children, but it's not about them. It's about what's on the inside of me because you see, I'm like the egg or the potato. I can choose. Am I going to come out of this better or am I going to come out of this bitter? It's my decision. So when you get dropped in that boiling water, when you get put in that fire, how do you come out? You can use grace and come out better and stronger and more powerful on the other side than what you were before you even were tested with that fire or water. It's all throughout the Bible. Jesus, and don't even for one second allow the enemy to say, well, that was Jesus. Who are you? Who are you? The same Holy Spirit that worked through him and in him, the same Father is the same one that we have. He lay aside all his deity to come as a man. So don't let the enemy come to you and say, well, that was God. You can't do that. No, we can do that. That's why Jesus came, so that we can do the things he did. That's what the word says. So you've got the Israelites walking in the desert. They have food. They have water. They have manna. Complain, moan all the time, every day. Jesus, same desert, no food, 40 days. Who came out better? Same surroundings, same place. One chose to come out like the hard-boiled egg, better, stronger on the other side of that. Other people chose to come out weak, to fall in that place that provision was made for them and to die in the desert was their choice. It's all throughout the Bible. So we cannot say, because of my surroundings, because of the people around me, Blame somebody or something else for me not doing well. That's not right. There was a garden. There was a man in a garden. Same scenario. One garden was actually very nice. Pretty close to perfect, the word says. But a man chose to do the wrong thing. And look how he came out of that garden. Then there was a garden that was actually pretty horrific. That was terrible. And one man went into that garden and he chose to come out of that garden better than what he was when he went in. Same garden. One garden even better than the other. Man going in, man coming out. You and I, child of God, going in. You and I, child of God, coming out. How are you coming out? Better? By the grace of God? So powerful. That not even everything that the enemy has to throw at you can bring you down. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? It's not a cliche. It's not just a nice verse to quote. It is the gospel truth. Grace will make us that powerful. So those two different scenarios, the outside may look very different, but you choose how you want to come out of that. Let us turn to Isaiah 50 verse 6, please. Isaiah 
This is what Jesus went through. Just one verse here, a quick one, so that we can have this grace. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. That's what Jesus actually physically went through so that we can have this grace. Let us never ever become a people that say, oh well, whatever. Let us not partake of this grace. Turn around and say, oh, thank you very much. Without thinking of what was done to make this grace available to us. To think of everything that Jesus had to go through so that you and I today can be powerful people. And the Bible says that he's waiting, sitting in heaven until his enemies become his footstool. Who's going to do that? You and I. How powerful are you? How powerful are you that God's enemies are going to be made his footstool through you and I? That's what he's waiting for. And too many times it's just so easy to just give in and claim the grace. Give in. Claim the grace. We're going to look at a verse now that says that is not a good place to be in. But this is what Jesus went through. So it says that he bore the shame so that we don't have to. So that if you have truly repented, if you live that life of using the grace the right way, you never have to be ashamed of anything again. Because he took our sickness and disease so that we don't have to be sick. He took our guilt so that we don't have to be guilty. He took our shame so that we never have to feel ashamed again. And so many of us sitting here today, the enemy still comes back to you and makes you feel ashamed for things you did a long time ago. And Jesus is saying, my son, my daughter, that's under the blood. I don't even remember that no more. Neither should you. Because I bore your shame on the cross. They spat. They beat. I did not. He says there. He says he took that shame. So that you would never have to be ashamed for the things that you've did. And so many of us are being plagued by that. That you have repented. You are sorry. And if you could go back now, see, that's, that's the difference of just repenting in the world's way or repenting in a godly manner. If you could go back to that scenario, whatever you did, and have that over again and say, I would do things different. I wouldn't do that again. Why? Because I'm not that person anymore. That's true repentance. That means God has worked on your heart. And now because of that repentance, it's as if it never existed. But me, I would go back to any situation and it would be, I'm sorry. I wasn't sorry. I'm not going to do that again. I didn't try my very best not to do it again. That's not true repentance. But if you have truly repented, if you are not that same person who did that again, the enemy can't come and whisper in your ear, you don't deserve this. You should feel bad. You should feel ashamed about yourself because Jesus bore that shame. And too many times we in the church are not powerful because of shame. And that's not God because he bore that shame. And how many times do we want to pray for someone? How many times do we want to speak to someone? And then in the back of the mind, the enemy comes and says, who do you think you are? I know what you did. Can you remember that? And now because of that, whatever that may be, you don't have faith to pray. You're thinking, I can't pray because I did this. And all the while, Jesus is saying, you've repented. That's not in the books anymore. It's gone. Go and be powerful. Lay your hands on. Stop thinking about that which was in the past. 
And so many times, Bill Johnson says, he says, if you and I visit something in our past apart from the blood, I think he's... It's a sign. It's a sign. But you can't visit anything of the past without the blood because that will bring shame. And that's not how God sees you. And that's very, very powerful. I sat in that chair over there. So I'm saying this because it means it was in the last five years that this took place. And somebody said something I can't remember and must have been the enemy. He took me back to something I did when I was in my young 20s. And it's very bad. And I did it. And I was thinking of that. And I was sitting there. So it's within five years from now. And I started crying. And I was so sorry for what I did. It was, it was so bad. It was, was to an, an older man. I, I beat up an older man. I should have respected him. I should have honored him. I didn't. I, I, I assaulted him. I beat him up. And I sat there in that chair and I cried and I cried and I cried. And the Holy Spirit said to me, what are you doing? And I said, Lord, that day, that night. He's like, why are you even thinking about that? And I'm going on and he says, that's under the blood. That's not you anymore. If you had a chance today to meet that man, what would you do? I would, rep- I would apologize. I would shake his hand, hug him and say, I'm so sorry for what I did. I was wrong. I'm not that person anymore. But the enemy after so many years could still come to me and make me feel ashamed for things that I did. And he took away my power that I had because that was under the blood. It was gone. It didn't even exist in the eyes of God anymore. And that's what the enemy is doing to a lot of people. He's making you feel bad and ashamed for things that God has said. My grace has washed that completely away. You have no right to think about that thing the way you did. If you can't speak about that situation without tearing up and feeling sad and guilty, it means you haven't allowed the grace of God to sort that out in your life. Go back to that with the grace and the forgiveness of God and, and, and repent over it properly and move on because it doesn't exist anymore if that's you. Don't allow the enemy to make you feel shameful. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll start in verse 10. So this is what I was saying. If you abuse the grace of God, it brings death in your life. If you misuse it. For godly sorrow produces repentance. We've done so many teachings about repentance. Turn around 180 degrees. Think differently. Don't move in the same direction. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Godly sorrow, like I'm really, man, that was wrong. That was wrong. I should not have done that. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to never, ever do that again. That's godly sorrow. And what does it do? Leads to salvation. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't matter what you did. One step of repentance, godly sorrow will put you on the path of salvation. That's the power of repentance and grace. Not to be regretted. Look at this now. But the sorrow of the world. What's the sorrow of the world? I'm sorry. Not going to do that again. That was me. 
I, I've, lived both the, I've lived both paths. I was sorry. I would, man, I'm not going, not going to do that anymore. But now that entailed me going to the clubs. That entailed me drinking. That entailed me doing the drugs. That entailed all of that. Where was I next Friday? There again. And then the next morning I'd wake up and I'd look and I'm like, here I am again. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. That's not true repentance. That's the world's repentance. And you do that over and over and over again. The sorrow of the world produces death. That's powerful. That's a powerful verse. True repentance. Godly repentance leads to salvation, life. Wholeness, wellness, power. But worldly sorrow. Who of you have children that are not saved or they save, but they, yeah, they, you know, on that line of, they come, did you do this? Yeah, I'm sorry. Do you think they're really sorry? Tomorrow again, do the same thing. Did you eat the cookie? Yeah, I'm sorry. Are they sorry? No, no. That's, that's us. That's us grown-ups in the world. I'm sorry. Okay, what are you going to do so that you... When, when we did that uh, DVD series for the men on, on sexual purity in the church, you know, that guy says, if you really... How bad do you want it? If you really want to be free from pornography, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to take in your cell phone? Are you willing to take your computer? Are you willing to cut the television cable? Are you willing... All of that to put every adult blocker possibly on there or... Are you the one that says, no, I, I need this because I have to? No, that's not true repentance. That was me. You know that you shouldn't turn on the internet while everyone else in the house is sleeping. You know that. What do you do? Go to that room. Turn on the computer. While you know, because why? He writes his laws on your heart. New covenant of grace. He's always there. I don't need my wife standing and saying, you're not allowed to do that. Because I've got the Holy Spirit there saying, you shouldn't be doing this. This is not good. Not good for you. Not good for your son after you. You want your generations after you to be blessed. Don't go into that room right now. Ah, what do you do the next morning? I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. If you truly repented in the manner of God, you would not go to the room. Or you would put the computer in the bedroom with your wife. You would do something else than just say, I'm sorry. You're late for work again. I'm sorry. You know, I couldn't help it. That's not godly repentance. That's why if we use that repentance of the world and sorry and sorry, that leads to death. So me walking out this path and being sorry and being sorry, what happened to me is your heart gets hard. So now when Holy Spirit tries to say something in the beginning, it really, really, it was, wow, I shouldn't be doing this. But two, three, four, five years of doing that same thing over and over again, I knew it was wrong, but did not even care. Went after it with everything that was in me. Until I woke up in a bed and the doctor said, you'll never walk again. Your life is, it's over. So what happened? My repentance produced death. Never be normal again. Never have a normal life. I'm, oh my goodness, this is bad. But you know what? In that hospital bed, one night, 
all by myself. My wife is next to me. I practiced true repentance for the first time in my life. It was really, 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 really true repentance. So I said, Lord Jesus, man, I know I've said this so many times. Who are you kidding? I have said this over and over. I have said so many times, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. I know that. I have. And this is where I am because of that. I know it. But if you will forgive me one more time, just one more, will you allow me again to say that I'm sorry? And that was true repentance. Because the next day when I woke up, I, I had to do things different if I wanted to get up out of that bed. It was now my choice. Now, you faced with a situation. You're going to be the egg. You're going to be the potato. I was like, man, by the grace of God, I'm going to do the right thing. I don't want this to be the rest of my life. And grace stepped in. The next day, I phoned all my friends and I said to them, listen, the rifle you knew is dead. The rifle that you used to party and do drugs and the nightclub and the woman and all of that, he's not around anymore. Every Sunday, there will be church in my house. You are more than welcome to come. If you don't come, I understand. But the rifle you knew is not the rifle that woke up this morning in this bed. And Jesus said, that's okay, because I have not left you. So just go back to where you were seven, eight years ago. I'm still waiting on your good path. That never changes. Just one step of godly obedience brought me to this place, whole and healthy today. After years and years and years of worldly sorrow and repentance of, uh, I'm sorry. And now when I watch Tiffany make a meal, I'm like, my love, that is amazing. Thank you so much. Last week was my birthday. I'll end with this. And, and she said, because we, you know the five love languages, how we receive and give love is very different, the two of us. So she said, what do you want to do for lunch? So I said, let's go out. We'll go out for lunch. I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to eat at home. I didn't want to eat at home. I wanted to go out. Why? Because I know all the preparation that goes in for her to make a meal. For her to make a meal, for us to eat at home was going to take hours and hours and hours. But she wanted to do that for me. She wanted to give me and show me her love by preparing such an amazing meal. I wanted to take her out because I didn't want her to do all that work for me. It's so much easier. Let's just go out and go to a restaurant and we don't have to clean up. We don't have to worry. They will do everything. But Jesus said, I'm going to come down to you because I want you to know how much I love you. I want to show my love for you. So let's not go out. Let's eat at this table that I will prepare for you. Take a look at everything that I do so that you can have the most amazing meal, the most amazing life. Doesn't matter how you receive love. I want to come and do this for you so that you can be powerful. That's what Jesus says to us every single day. So that when we open our eyes, the grace of God is new. And we can get up out of that bed as powerful people. Because he paid for it.
And today I'm going to make two, whatever you want to call it, invitations. One is going to be, if you are here and you are not powerful because you are using the world's way of repentance, you need to come and get rid of that. You need to come and say to God, I today, I choose godly sorrow that will produce salvation in my life. I'm coming to give up my ways of whatever and eat of your grace and just say, thank you very much. That changes today. And the other one is, if you are here and you have truly repented, but you're still ashamed about something, the enemy comes and makes you feel guilty, you need to come and give that to God because God says there is no right for you to be ashamed because I bore your shame. You must be powerful. So, right now, any one of these two, if you repent like the world, you need to come forward and say, Jesus, this is my day. This is my Christmas gift. I give myself to you under the tree. I am your present. Forgive me. I'm choosing godly repentance. Come right now. Don't worry about the people. If you want to be powerful, come now and say that to God. If you are also here and you feel guilty, if the enemy rides you about something and makes you feel bad because of something you did in your past, but it's forgiven, you need to give that shame to God as well. Come to the front right now. Don't care of people looking. This is not, this has got nothing to do with anyone else but heaven and earth. This has got to do with the grace of God in a throne room that says, Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace in a time of need. Don't worry about people around you. You want to be powerful. You want to be clean. You want to walk in everything that God has for you. Come to the front. Father God, you see your children standing here. We thank you for the word today that went out. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher of the church. Thank you that we can come today without any shame, without any guilt, without anything that the enemy can put on us to make us feel bad because you bore that on the cross. So we come today, Lord, for whatever reason, whether it's our turn to say today, this is my godly sorrow, my repentance, and I'm going to do everything I can, or I'm giving you my shame. But here we are. We are your Christmas present, Jesus. We put ourselves under your tree, and we say, here we are, a gift to you this day. And it's all possible because of your grace. It's all possible because of your goodness. So now receive whatever we give to you, Lord Jesus, and we receive your power. We receive your cleansing. We receive your goodness over us, your Ephesians 2 verse 10 path, the good work that was predestined for us before the foundation of the earth, all because of your goodness. We lay this down at your feet right now, and we give it to you. Bless you. Thank you for taking this. Thank you for this opportunity, this day that we can walk out as powerful children of God so that your enemies will be made your footstool through us because this is your will. So we receive our cleansing now. Just say after me, say, Father God, I receive your cleansing. I thank you for the blood. I am clean. I am washed. I am whole. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Just one step in the right direction. God will change your life around and do something so amazing. Praise God.
any of you need prayer for anything else.